Hi, my name is Daniel Iturri, and this is Global Tides, a podcast where I interview Pepperdine students and faculty that have produced excellent social science research. India is undergoing a historic period of economic development. During the past decade, India has managed to lift 271 million people out of poverty and provided access to electricity, water, and sanitation to a larger share of its population. However, this economic development led by multinational corporations and large enterprises has not been able to seep through India's long history of economic and social inequality. For instance, Oxfam reported in 2017 that India's top 1% owned 73% of the addition to wealth in that year, a number way higher than in the US. Moreover, female participation in the labor force is among the lowest rates in the world. A possible solution for all this could be social entrepreneurship. Today, we're talking to Heet Karazra, a senior business administration major from India. She is an international student ambassador and an active member of the Pepperdine community. She has been published several times, and we will be talking about her latest published article, Transformational Development in Social Capital, Jaipur Rugs and Garambikas on Both Sides of the Threshold, published along with her professor, Wani N. Walker, in the Journal of Social Entrepreneurship. Thank you for talking to us, Heat. Of course. Um, so first, could you provide some context uh, for the paper? What is social entrepreneurship? Yeah. So social entrepreneurship, I really like to define it um, from this quote by an innovation author, Kylie Westway. And he says it's where the heart of Gandhi meets the mind of Henry Ford. And I see mm. social entrepreneurship as more as an amalgamation of, you know, driving a social mission and steering innovative business solutions that can not only empower, but also encourage grassroots community lift. And that eventually aids in economic development, especially in th- third world countries. Hmm. How do you think social entrepreneurship can aid in economic development? As you were saying, what, what is it about social entrepreneurship that is so unique for economic development? So I believe that um, most of these countries, third world countries, have so much abundance of uh, talent, but lack a lot of resources in terms of economy. And so it is important to find different innovative business models that are um, that can be adapted in a particular context or a particular country and works in the economic development of that country. And that is what social entrepreneurship allows is to have that idea of providing innovative business solutions, which are uh, very much relevant to its own context and therefore it can help economically develop. So I believe not every model of social entrepreneurship would work in every country. It has to be very much based on the economy of the country and finding solutions that are deeply grounded in that economy. Hmm. And why is social entrepreneurship particularly needed in India or maybe effective in the Indian context? Yeah. Um, So I think um, India is particularly a context where there's significant poverty, gender and caste system differences. um, And the national constitution basically guarantees equality for all groups, but it does not exist, especially for women, which makes approximately half of the population. 
And so social entrepreneurship provides this medium through which um, there can be an environment that is fostered, which is rich in entrepreneurship. And according to a poll, it said that 60% of Indian population has entrepreneurial capacity, but they lack support from government, technology, and infrastructure. And so countries that have so much of entrepreneurial talent and um, capacity are provided that support through social entrepreneurship. And India especially is a country that has so much high um, cultural interest, but does not have enough uh, resources to be supported. And that's why social entrepreneurship provides a medium to provide those um, support and resources. So let's get a little bit into your specific paper. Um, Your research question was, what structures and processes are used by Indian social enterprises to constitute social capital that is sustainable to local culture? Um, First, could you explain a little bit what is social capital? Yeah, definitely. So social capital is basically this idea um, of including links, shared values, and understanding in a community or a society, which enables different individuals and group members to trust each other and work with each other. So it basically includes all these different supportive values, resources, links within a community. And um, in a way, you can say that those are an assets that help connect networks, help build trust within members in the community, and help respective um, build on norms of that community. And so basically the whole uh, research paper uh, assesses how social cohesion becomes transformative capital in the way that you can negotiate different traditional values and cultural sustainability, which is imposed in the grounded like which is imposed in the community not imposing like different ideologies or solutions that are grounded in a different context or a different community so it's basically social capital is those links that you can foster and empower to build social cohesion Hmm. and can that social cohesion be quantified in any way um In certain cases, it could be, but social cohesion comes up when a whole community um, uses its assets, which is social capital, in a way that helps the community be uplifted and empowered. And so that's when social cohesion plays a role, is when all the social capital has been transformed into successful ways that the community is being uplifted. So yes, I think some statistics definitely for different social enterprises help them uh, quantify social capital, but it is so much more about the quality or the more about the testimonies or the success stories of people within that community. Could you give us uh, a an example of social capital, perhaps one that... Um... Uh, was used in your example of Jaipur rugs uh, or any other case that you've seen a tangible example of what social capital might look like? Yeah, for sure. I think um, 
specifically in the case of Gram Vikas, there was a very interesting case where um, the whole Gram Vikas team were working in um, the village and they came up with this idea of building a fund with which they can build uh, public facilities. But the problem was that all the males were part of this uh, public gathering or the public meetings and women were not allowed to be represented or were allowed to be part of those meetings. Um, So definitely they did not have any decision making, but they definitely wanted that help and support from Grambikas. But all the men were drunk by the end of the day when they came back from their work and um, they would not pay attention to the meetings or they were not interested in the development that the organization had to offer them. So it was so difficult for all these uh, volunteers and all these organization members to actually uh, convince these men to start working on different projects and building a fund. And when the women of the village got to know that how they are not being um, supportive to the organization, they took up um, their own stand, their own uh, risk-taking ability to further go and um, uh, banded together and they stormed the town liquor store where they destroyed almost all the alcohol bottles and brewing apparatus. And so this was kind of a social capital where these women came up together with their own, um, with their own, you know, idea of domestic uh, wife and um, leveraging their role in the family um, to take a decision that was bold, perhaps, but make the men uh, progress in this project. And after that, none of the men were kind of uh, getting drunk and they took this project more seriously and all the work started happening and they were able to uh, build on a lot of water and sanitation facilities for that village. And so when the females um, kind of were empowered to take a stance for the development of their own families and getting more resources. They came together, linked together, negotiated with the existing norms and kind of, um, yeah, kind of, you know, just uh, found a way to self-sustain through that. So how did you set out to answer your question, your research question? Yeah, so... um, The methodology that we used was a qualitative comparative case study of two enterprises in India. But we started off with a list of top 10 social enterprise organizations in India because we did not have an idea which one would be the most relevant. And so we used theoretical sampling of those 10 social enterprises by researching journal articles, books, and understanding how they can be prototypical models um, with a problem-solving focus, um, a focus on sustainability and transformation. And so we, uh, after analyzing those 10 social enterprises in all these three different areas, sampling was saturated. And uh, among these 10 enterprises, the final two were chosen because of its definitely the focus on transformation and development. So, and further, the research and literature was supplemented along with live interviews. So tell us a little bit about um, your first case, uh, Jaipur Rugs. 
What is so fascinating about this model of operating business? Because when I was reading your paper, it was uh, some of the the stories and qualitative uh, pieces that you picked up were really interesting. So could you share a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. So Jaipur Rugs was an interesting social enterprise because it has a business model to it, uh, while it has a social capital and social cohesion that is attached to the business story. And it was started off as a corporation that creates more just equilibrium by giving rural weavers, that is artisans who uh, create drugs, and um, they were given direct access to the marketplace through family infrastructure. And um, the main goal of the founder was to reduce the dependence on corrupt middlemen who were taking up 30 to 40 percent of the profits. And therefore, it led to injustices experienced by these weavers who were completely uh, poor and at the bottom of the pyramid, if I should say. Um, and this led to caste and gender operation, and therefore the founder came up with this idea about completely removing middlemen and providing direct global access to a marketplace. And so his model was, I would say, is being described as an insurgency because it connects the front line directly with its customers, and it blurs the lines of workplace and home life and in context of the research it is very fascinating because usually you think women empowerment in a more activist way or through a lens of activism or feminism but here the idea was to not force women to go beyond the threshold of their homes or sacrifice on their family lifestyle but provide them um, workplace at their doorstops and so most of these women work from their home have an earning from home while they are able to manage home food children you know at the same time so it really empowers women but without asking them to go outside the threshold of their homes which would be the ideal case in a lot of these countries Hmm. So in a way, it's almost feminism applied to the local needs of a, of a culture, would you say? Yes, yes, definitely. Hmm. Um, so could you also, for to provide a little context in the, the case of India, uh, for those of us who are not so knowledgeable or haven't had the chance to be there, could you talk a little bit about uh, the caste system in India and um, sort of social inequality? What does that look like? Yeah, definitely. So the caste system in India has been prevalent since decades, and it's something that is rooted in the community. It is very much difficult to get rid of that social mindset that has been prevailing for such a long time. And um, even though today it it's not that prevalent, definitely, but in rural communities and in local areas, uh, caste system still exists. And people from the lower caste, specifically in the case of Jaipur Rugs, um, the founder belonged from a very lower caste and the caste was also called an untouchable caste. And so he had so much stigma that he had to face. He had to face even more challenges because he came from a lower caste. And people from these castes definitely do not get enough resources or support as opposed to people from the upper caste. And so it's so much difficult to come up with solutions and empower people from 
different caste systems. You've already touched on this a little bit, but could you talk a little more about how the owner of Jaipur Rugs breaks through the social structures of India, such as the caste system? Yeah, so um, basically all the rural artisans in his community and in Jaipur belong to the lower caste, uh, very similar to the caste that he belonged. And so they were exploited even more by the middlemen because they belong to that caste and oppressed um, due to their caste. And that's why even when they worked so hard for weaving those carpets uh, for so many days and they were really talented um, artists, they did not, they received like 50 or 60% of those profits and the other 40% or 50% of the profits were taken away from these dishonest middlemen who were kind of exploiting people from the lower caste. And so the owner kind of broke through that social structure of um, people from lower caste being exploited and facing these injustices. And um, he was able to not only... um, reduce caste oppression but also gender oppression because it is very easy for people uh, especially women in India to be exploited and since they are not given equal rights and considered as equal as men in these rural areas so yeah there were like a lot of different social structures that were broken through by the owner specifically in the case of caste and gender Do you have any um, interesting stories from the company? Did you get to visit uh, the factory or did you get to meet anyone uh, from the company? Yes. So um, Jaipur Rugs, I was able to visit uh, personally. And it was definitely one of the most interesting stories that I have till date. Uh, I was visiting the village where these rural artisans work and I was going to interview them. Um, So I... I just entered the house of this woman who I was supposed to enter and she approaches me in a sari which is this traditional Indian outfit and she confidently welcomes me uh, saying good morning and I hope your journey was good and she introduces her name and I was so shocked and astonished because usually I was not expecting like a woman in such a poor underdeveloped village and she lived in this tiny house to greet me in English and her English was as good as mine and so it took me just so long to understand that how how come she was so well versed with this language and it was so uh, welcoming for me and um a group of six other women also kind of joined her and they spoke as good English and they were so well equipped with uh, different kinds of resources and um, just the support that they had received from this organization. And so when I asked them about their proficiency in the language, they were like, we just dreamt of talking to customers in English when they come to meet us in our village. And so they learned to read and write English inside their houses at like an age after having four or five kids. And um, I felt that I underestimated their capacity as a woman. I think they are able to do so much more even after a different age. And women in India, I think, sacrifice so much for their family because of the collectivistic nature. Um, So I think it was very 
interesting and eye-opening to see how she introduced me. And on top of that, when I got to know about her background story, she was a victim of an abusive marriage and she stayed behind a whale. She kept uh, her face always covered before uh, being so empowered and she was too shy to even talk with her own customers few years ago but I think today she was in front of me she was just standing so empowered with this new confidence that she had because of her talent in weaving and this was possible because of um, uh, this organization Jaipur Rugs who was able to bring entrepreneurship at her doorstep and she could work for different hours she could feed her baby she was working she was singing songs with these six other women and she was making beautiful drugs and it was amazing how she was able to multitask but also how she was using experiences of her past life and then leveraging it for something better in her future she was not able to communicate confidently with her clients in english she was able to she was a single mother she was able to pay um her bills and send her kids to a government school and i think that was a very interesting uh story that i had mm-hmm. um in that same vein uh throughout the paper you talk a little bit about um how non-Western countries have had a harder time assimilating feminism. Um, How do you think, can social entrepreneurship be a means to achieve gender equality, do you think? Yeah, I think um, the majority of the women in these uh, developing countries face significant violations of their human rights. And this has been going on since centuries. So it's kind of difficult to change that social context and that social uh, environment in which it's been happening. And I think for particularly um, India is such a huge country and has hundreds of millions of women living in countries that are governed by patriarchy and they face restricted mobility. They do not have access to education or health facilities and they lack so much decision-making power because of this patriarchal family norm system that exists. And But in my opinion, I view a social entrepreneurship as a pro-women economic development strategy because the lack of women Um, empowerment in these rural areas can be addressed by creating sustainable women communities that are able to you know empower and uplift themselves because they do I believe they do have a lot of talent they do have a lot of risk-taking ability and a desire to bring positive social impact but they lack opportunities they lack someone to give them that one push and say that okay you can go and do this you must try learning something new or you must try and and work a lot of these women do not even get permission from uh, males in their family to step outside their homes or talk with other men in the community and um, so I feel like there's this quote that I always have known about social entrepreneurship is the best way of doing so is uh, not by giving poor people a fish and feeding them for a day, but by teaching them to fish in the hopes of feeding them for a lifetime. And so when you are empowering women in these rural communities, you're empowering the whole community and kind of achieving gender equality in that area. 
So definitely, I think it's it's a very pro-women economic development theory. So lastly, do you think uh, that the idea of social capital could be used in the developed world to solve our own problems of economic, uh, gender, and race inequality? Do you think social capital, capital has a place in, in the developed world? Yeah, I think social capital definitely has a role to play in the developed world. But again, it depends on the social capital aspects that are prevalent in that developed world. For example, the links and the bonds or how much the collectivistic culture of a developing country has to contribute to the social capital. The same individualistic uh, culture might not be able to um, have the same kind of social capital in terms of links and networks and community. But I think there is a very different um, community that can be empowered and uplifted in a developed world by using the ideas of social capital and kind of digging deep and going to the grassroots level in those social issues and then coming up with a different social enterprise business model that might work in a developed world and is more prevalent according to the theories and the norms and the decisions that people make in that community. So yes, I think definitely, but it depends on the context and on the developed world. Well, thank you, Heat, for talking to us all the way from India in quarantine. So thank you so, so much. Yes, of course. It was a pleasure talking to you and sharing about my research. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast was edited by Savannah Welch. Next episode, we'll be talking to student Filippo Margaritini about the role of state-owned energy enterprises in addressing climate change. See you next time.